You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in the industry. I'm Alan. I help connect business with tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast from Evolution Exchange. Today, we have a beautiful panel here. Uh, James, Kevin, Pretty, and VG. So today we're going to discuss about creating a high-performance teams. Before we go that, let's start introduction. Maybe let's start from Pretty. Can you introduce yourself to the audience, please? Thanks, Alan. Um, hi, everyone. I am um, Preeti. I am the engineering um, team lead at um, IRIS. Um, so IRIS is a financial services company. We um, offer a whole area of um, software, which um, predominantly focuses in the financial services um, industry, such as investments, trade, um, market data, uh, wealth, etc. So um, I've um, so far, I've been managing two squads um, at Iris, and my background is actually um, delivery slash Scrum Master. So I've um, worked at a um, you know few organizations uh, managing uh, web development teams, backend teams, um, technology uh, teams, um, leading teams to um, you know uh, various initiatives around um, website redesigning through to um, SAP um, enhancements. So that's a bit about me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Uh, maybe next one will be Kevin. Can you introduce yourself to the panel, please? Sure, thanks. Thanks, Alan. Hey, everyone. Uh, so as Alan said, I'm Kevin. Uh, I'm from SCAND. Uh, so what SCAND does is uh, we are working on digitalizing the um, building lifecycle process. Um, you know, with a building, there's a, a fairly long process whereby you uh, go from, you know, the surveying, to the architecture, to the building, to the management of the building or bridge or asset to make sure you know everything goes well. Um, right now, there's a lot of different fragmented tools and the, a very big issue is the delivery of the data and collaboration on data. Um, so what SCAN is trying to do is to essentially bring everything to one place. So all of your data can exist in one place. You can collaborate on it. You can visualize it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of roughly what SCAN does. As for myself, so I have a background in uh, computer science and statistics, um, and I kind of fell into the field of AI, uh, which kind of led me to scan. Uh, but right now, I'm mostly focusing on just the backend architecture side of things, um, and AI is kind of on the side. Um, we have an in-house uh, AI model that um, we use just in the backend. So yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. How about VG? Introduce yourself. Thank you. Hey everyone, um, thanks Alan for organising this. So my name is VG John, um, I work as the account director at Ocean Software. We've been at the company for uh, a number of years with um, backgrounds in operations, product and sales at executive levels. In these roles, I've had to attract, train and maintain high performance teams. The company Ocean is a global software provider, um, primarily to defence forces locally and internationally. Our sort of software platforms assist in several areas, including training, operations management, aviation, logistics and health. Um, so my interest in this space is quite high given the majority of our customers are defence forces who are excellent in recruiting and moulding high performing individuals to operate within high performing teams in complex operating environments. Um, alongside that, we recruit many ex-military staff. Um, so, and then a lot of the services that we deliver have a high degree of interaction with our customers. And to that end, we also need to have 
our own high performing teams working with our customers high performing team. So as you can see, it's quite a uh, relevant topic for us. Thanks, Alan. Thank you for coming. The last but not the least, James. <laughs> thanks, Alan. And again, thanks for organizing this. Uh, so I'm James, uh, head of engineering at Seek. Everyone probably knows Seek as a, a job board that started out of eight, uh, out of Australia. Um, and I started 11 years ago when the uh, when we had like 60 people in the whole of IT, and we're running out of a data center. And uh, now we have uh, I've lost count. There's hundreds and hundreds across all across APAC and uh, and remotely across Australia as well. And uh, and yeah, I manage a number of teams at Seek. Thank you for everyone. I think today we have a very relevant topic right now, which is you know creating high performance teams. You know, in the last two to three years, everyone's been stuck through COVID. You know, work from home. You know feeling there's no chance to be supported by the team and i'm pretty sure this is a struggle for everyone you know in the it space and uh, even for us we are working in the same industry right we are coming from all different you know background like financial background or your military background so shall we start from pretty to share her insights about you know how to create a high performance teams Thanks, Alan. Um, so for me, a high performance team is, um, you know, some a team which sort of respect each other, um, allow each other to grow and appreciate each other's work. So I see that as one of the biggest um, characteristics or traits of a high performance team. Um, and I think emotionally supporting each other, um, you know, especially we are all working uh, virtually, we've gone through some tough times of late, um, you know, with COVID and all that. And I think this is the time where there's, you know, it's been challenging for a lot of us with constantly on um, Zoom calls. Um, and I think this is where, you know, we've seen an increase in, um, in that virtual support or emotional support. So having those check-ins um, on a regular basis with the team and the team members supporting each other emotionally. And I see that is a, a big characteristic of a high supporting or a high performance team, um, I would say, uh, because when I know that my team member is supporting me and, you know, he's he or she is able to understand me um, and, you know, the outside of work or even professionally, if I'm struggling with, you know, something or a work that I'm not able to fulfill correctly and they're able to support me, then I do feel that, oh, you know, I feel motivated um, to go that extra mile and, you know, perform even better. And if I understand my goal and, you know, my strategies better, for example, as a team, we all are aligned towards a goal. So we're not competing with each other. It's more like a high performance team is, um, you know, they're competing towards a goal as a team together and not competing with each other. So I believe that that this is, a, you know, a strong um, characteristic of a high performance um, team or a high performing yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, mutual trust and uh, collaborative in a way, which is harmony to increase efficiency. Definitely something, you know, we are in for in each organizations. Thank you for the input. Uh, Kevin, can you share some of your thoughts uh, into SCAN to see how the performance there? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Scan's a relatively small team. We have around 10 engineers. Um, everyone knows each other pretty well. Uh, so I, I believe the most important team for me, at least in the high performance team, it is, um, you know, the, the environment to have autonomy and to make mistakes. And, you know, as, as a leader, I think the most important thing that I have to do is to make to, to foster this environment. Right. And to make sure that, you know, we're giving everyone enough context with regards to why they're doing what they're doing, 
but also, you know, you need to protect yourself and make sure that if they are going to make a mistake, um, you know how to get back from that mistake. And but then if they're very adamant in, you know, um, making that mistake, then, you know, giving them the ability to do that so that they can learn from it. And, you know, when that happens, not saying, oh, look, I told you so, you know, but rather, you know, taking that and just kind of letting them own up to, and just kind of um, letting them say, OK, well, I, I made this mistake and, you know, and you know, I, I was a, I wasn't berated. Um, I can learn from this, um, and kind of letting that um, uh, kind of mentorship kind of permeate throughout the the team. So you know, when we have new uh, interns come on board, we also have we treat them res with respect. We respect um, you know their decisions and we respect their ideas, and then we give them the space to make mistakes. Um, because at the end of the day, I believe if you have ownership of something and you feel like it's yours, that's that's where the motivation comes from, right? And that's when you, you're you going to take the extra step. And even if a mistake happens, you know, you're going to own up to that mistake and you're going to you're going to like fix it. And um, yeah, so that's 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 how I feel. Yeah, like I think it's really important to create like, you know, a safe space professionally and psychologically, right? So when they need help, they'll reach, reach out to you like the mentorship, right? They will talk to the managers and, uh, you know, they are not afraid of make, making mistakes because no one's perfect. So we've all been there, done that and grow from there. Thank you so much. Well said. Next one, BG, show us with the military industry to see how is that different. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Um, and really good, um, you know, responses from Preeti and Kevin. Like, you know, I think you, you took most of the immediate things was come, that were coming to my mind. But, you know, I think there's um, a role with, you know, what is what does it mean from an organisation perspective? What does it mean as a leader of high-performing teams versus being a team member um, within a, you know, high-performing team? And so, you know, all around, across those three tiers, there's there's got to be a level of trust and, there's got to be some form of scaffolding or frameworks that um, in, empowers people where, um, you know, to what Kevin was saying, you know, people aren't afraid of failure. Um, you know, when we talk about high performance, you know, it can't be so much output and task oriented. It's got to be what's people's attitudes um, and motivation to perform. And if you can get that mix right across your team members where they build trust, they build purpose, they build um, responsibility, you know, that, that naturally then forms into how high performing outcomes. Um, and then sort of linked with that is then what can an organisation do to um, call it mentor or empower high performing teams. And so there's a range of activities from that. But yeah, I'll stop there. Pass it on to James, I think. Yep. Um, I'd really like to dig into some of the things, uh, VJ. Um, kind of listening to you all, I think what we've 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 obviously gravitated towards an individual team, and I think it's like what is the team, right? If I think what we're defining this is is like a squad of a, a small number of people, up to probably five or six, or maybe a team up to ten or something like that. But we'll probably we could even go into like what's a division or what's like a subdivision or domain and and there's even performance around that um but if we focus in on like a team for for, for the time being what i kind of try and do is split this into inputs outputs and mediators and kind of the outputs of high performance for me they're always uh bifocal they're always two and first one is a, a very people focused it's well-being 
So you can't have high performance without people, the psychological, social, and physical well-being of your people. I think the other one that's often in, in competing with that is just the overall performance of that team, some metric around that. I, I tend to actually have a very amorphous metric, which is really around, are you meeting and exceeding your expectations of your stakeholders in the business? If you're doing that, then it's up to that, those stakeholders to set those expectations. And it's up to you, to that team, to manage those up or down. But if you're meeting and exceeding your expectations, whatever they are, like ultimately, I think those are the two outcomes that we look at. And those expectations, and what, what's probably very different from Seek from UBJ, is Seek we really value as a business context, uh, creativity and innovation. So when we're talking about performance here, it's probably have you created or explored more about your environment. Whereas I would suspect from a, a military perspective, there's probably more of a, a, rather a positive reinforcement. There's probably a negative reinforcement here. And there's probably a direction towards execution. And they're often in, they're, they're often conflicts, those two things, whether you're executing and focusing on that or you're focusing upon uh, creativity and innovation. So I wouldn't mind us talking about kind of some of those things. I think what, what a lot of people, what a lot we've heard a lot today is the inputs to those things, kind of decision-making, quality decision-making, is it constructive? Uh, is it even you've got um, uh, 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 conflict and you're managing that conflict in your team, psychological safety. And then the big three for us is kind of the autonomy, relatedness, purpose, and mastery as well. I think we've all heard of that. Daniel Pink made it very famous, uh, but obviously in the, the, the um, creative spaces, that those kind of inputs really drive those creative uh, performance outcomes. So uh, yeah, so that's how we think at uh, uh, high performing teams or inputs and outputs as they Thank you for everyone. That's very insightful, like coming from different industries, like people in different positions sharing the same, you know, common interest in this, how is the definition about creating a high performance teams. And then I think, you know, we can do the little discussion right now here, because I know everyone has a big question about, you know, the challenges, the struggles right now want to share with the panel. So this is a totally a free casual conversation right now. Anyone feel free to jump in and we can make the brainstorm going. Well, I think I was actually interested in what Kevin said just before we, we came online. You're saying mm. like he was interested in scaling. Mm. And uh, and that's something I've been a part of at Seek with scale from a small number. But actually, I'm interested in that as well. I'm interested <laughs> in like looking at multiple teams and the, and the problems of scale are necessarily just the problems of individual team. And what I mean by that might be um, mobility. So an individual team, a performance it might not be mobility to all people mobility. But when you look across multiple teams or your your division or your your, your domain, team mobility is a real uh, aspect of high performance. So I wouldn't mind kind of maybe pulling apart, Kevin, what you think your challenges are, are with scaling right now. So just to clarify, so when you say team mobility, uh, do you mean different people being able to freely move into different projects that they're interested in or yeah what i was trying to do was uh i was trying to separate out the conversation from like just focus on one team yeah like a, a, a group of six to ten where mobility is not really mm. uh, not really that much of a concern so when you start scaling mm. actually 
shifting people to where it's most important right. does become really important, right? And that's that, and that's that performance at scale. So mm. I, was, I was just using that as an example to mm-hmm. call out the different uh, aspects of high performance when you when you scale. So I'm really interested in about the things that you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think at the end of the day, it, it really, the most important thing is, is to understand the individual, right? So to understand where their strengths and where their weaknesses lie. Um, so, and I'm sure kind of everyone knows um, that there's this aspect of this, but I, I want to touch a bit on the software side of things, because I feel that's part, that's a part that has really been helping us. Um, so at, at Scanned, we, we have a very, I want to say, um, uh, kind of like a, also almost an OCD level of like, engineering um, cleanliness. And so what we try very hard to do is have very, very clean code. And what this allows us to do is um, it, it, it makes naturally these architectural seams just happen um, within your business. And then when that starts to happen, what you can then do is to, you know, then I know microservices all the hype now, but um, we don't do that. But essentially, you can still have these clear architectural scenes in your monolith. And what that allows you to do essentially is, um, if there is someone who you know has the 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 drive and they have the knowledge to you know build on a code base, then it can very very clearly help them see. Okay, well, this is the part of the business domain that my code is going to be in, and these, and then you let them slowly try to figure out the bounds, right, the seams of the interfaces that are going to be across different teams. And what this allows you to do essentially is it allows you to easily onboard people without them having to understand the whole context of the whole like code base, right? Because they can just understand their specific code base. And as, and, and so this also kind of drives down the need for documentation just by nature of the fact that if you have clean code that's well documented and easy to read, and then you have a someone there just to mentor you and say, okay, well work on this. And then they give you like a rough guideline of this is roughly how the architecture works. This is how we interact with other people. And if you have good tests, then um, you know you can let them make a mistake. You can give them that autonomy because you know that they don't have to keep so much in their mind. And on top of that, you know that your tests are going to catch up on things that you know they that may break the systems. Um, so to sum up, I rambled a lot, but to sum up, um, clean code kind of helps you create architectural themes, assuming code's really well modeled. These architectural themes allow a person to understand the domain of the business, which then allows them to start building their own team, um, which don't have to have, you know, a lot of communication with other teams, because essentially like code, you let the people communicate through interfaces when you're working, obviously not when everyone's having fun, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like it decreases the communication overhead, because I think uh, one of the things that we started to see is when you start scaling communication overhead, it kind of it increases exponentially, right? So how can you decouple the people and also the code? And I think these two things kind of go hand in hand. So yeah. So Kevin, just on that, do you then, when you try and uh, as you scale, look to break off into I'll call it smaller teams, you know, create sub teams. You then try and figure out, you know, to your point, you identify people's motivations and attitudes, and you then try and create promotions associated with that and sort of say okay well maybe you want to be a team leader in this aspect um you know how how do you then you know manage and maintain that approach at the moment um well currently it's pretty ad hoc in the sense so um 
you know, we're relatively new. So we've only been in business for two and a half, three years. Um, so when we started off, uh, we were, uh, everything was outsourced. So when we bought everything in-house, um, we made it such that we had a monolithic backend, but the front end was microservice, uh, uh, micro front end. Um, so what this allowed us to do was it, it naturally kind of morphed into people having specific parts of the code that they had ownership of. And so like naturally as, as their skills grew um, and, you know, as um, more people joined, it, it, it kind of, it, it was more like, okay, well, what, what projects do we have on hand and what's most important? And then we would say, okay, well, if you're new, you know, come go and work on this project. And, and naturally it, it kind of transpired from there. Um, so yeah, don't really have a like plan on who gets promoted, who doesn't get promoted. They kind of just fall into that place. Um, but one thing I, I do see is the difference between um, individual contributors uh, versus kind of managers, right? So whereas with individual contributors, you know, we have a guy who's just super into graphics, like he just knows everything. And, you know, I, he's not that interested in around the management of, of people, but he's very interested in writing, well, good code for other people to use um, versus people who are more interested in the business context of the side of things. So now we're slowly to bring you know, these engineers that have worked with us for two, two, three years to, to the clients and helping them kind of, or kind of like um, nudge them onto the products I understand, okay, well, why are you building what you're building? And kind of gives them more context and more autonomy with regards to what's important, what's not important. So, yeah. Hey, so Kevin, what comes to mind is kind of, you're talking about team structure there and mm. the way to drive performance. So Conway's law is really a powerful driver for that. So this is the, the concept around you're essentially your software, your engineering will mirror your team structures. Yeah. Uh, there's this concept of like reverse Conway's law, whereby you can start with your team structure and over time your code will essentially be structured in, in that way. Right? Mm. So you could, you could look at your problem space, and this is what we do. We look at, let's say we look at like jobs to be done. So we understand and we, we, so we uh, draw together or bring together and cluster. <laughs> we might time. James there. Oh, what? You still got me? Yeah. Yes. Welcome okay. back. <laughs> Sorry. So uh, you cluster uh, uh, problems together for customer problems. You go, I'm going to invest a team in that or a small team. And what will happen over time is essentially that team will create the, or the, the structures, the engineering structures that map to that, that the, the team structure. It's not the other way around. It's not mm -hmm. the team structure maps to your hierarchy, your, 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 your domains that you set up within the architectural domains that you set up in, in your monoliths. It's actually the, the monolith is is mapped to models around your team structure, and so what you might want to do is look at your problem domain first, your customers, and then map your map your teams to that. And essentially, over time, what will happen is that 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 structure of your teams will will coalesce, and what you'll find is you'll have much more cohesion mm. um, and much less coupling in your uh, in your architecture. Because your teams operate that way as well, and because they focus on long running problems. Oh, yeah. That's that's very insightful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I know we do something similar in our in our engineering squads. Uh, you know, it's sort of that design led thinking where you focus on the customer, what the customer is trying to achieve, and then from that try and solve what's the best way to solve that problem, 
and who's the right, who's got the right skill sets and team structures and team dynamics to make that occur and make that happen. Sorry, Preeti, you're about to say something. Um, so just on that, I had something um, very interesting to note. So at IRS, we don't have a team structure. In other words, we don't have a a published, um, you know, a document or anything as such, which actually says, you know, these are the different, uh, you know, teams. This is the wealth team or the trading team. We um, so. It, it's for a purpose because we we want to move away from um, that hierarchy as much as possible, but we want to keep the structure flat. In other words, everyone is, um, you know, you can reach out to our CEO. So we have a CEO Slack channel where you can, you can if you have a question to our CEO, you can actually post it over there. And, um, and the, you know, the same with um, the teams. We have um, pretty, um, you know, open communication, very, very open communication. So we use Slack a lot for all our messaging. Um, and um, believe it or not, um, I think I haven't checked my emails in a couple of days now so very very less reliance on emails and more reliance on um, um you know like that real-time response through slack so that's something that we have um, um implemented at iris which is quite handy because um you know, when we talk about teams, high performance teams and um, being able to um, drive that, you know, meet that customer expectations that James, you mentioned, like stakeholder, are you meeting the stakeholder expectation? Um, so sometimes having that close relationship with our, um, you know, client facing um, individual or a team member and being able to get that response real time really, really helps us in making uh, decisions which uh, align to our, you know, strategic or towards our, um, our stakeholder goals. So that I think enables us to meet some of our expectations in a in a quicker or in a speed to market. So that's something um, we've um, you know done with our teams. Um, everyone communicates on Slack. Um, everyone's usually got a Slack app and Slack on their um, desktop. So yeah, very very less emails. <laughs> so you're saying you don't have like an org structure, like a, no. or a, a long running one. So does that mean you have like initiative teams? You have project teams that you spin up. Um, so what we have is product teams, more like uh, more on focused on the product. So whatever, uh, for example, we have X plan. Um, so they are more uh, towards uh, the teams are set up based on a product uh, rather long than long running. They're they are long running. running. They are okay. long running. But having said that, um, we discussed about team mobility. So individuals mm -hmm. or um, members in the team uh, do have the um, ability to move uh, to different squads. Uh, based on, say, initiative, based on their interests. For example, we've had a team member move to a platform engineering team because they wanted to inter um, explore in their interest in, say, DevOps or platform engineering. So that's what we have. We do have the mobility within the um, squads to move around to explore their interest or to do a certain initiative that they are quite keen to do. So I'm interested in, like I called out, like a couple of the outcomes, like well-being, performance. What does everyone else think? What What's the definition, not from an input perspective, but an output perspective? It's like, hey, if you're in an interview, like define what a high performing team, what's the output of a high performing team? What will be that at, uh, at Iris? So, um the, uh, so the main output that we um, focus on is um, James um, meeting our um, you know um, uh, goals. So we have something called winning steps that we have defined, and every individual um, at Iris has the same winning steps. Um, so everyone, be it the you know engineering um, team lead, be it the um, client you know manager, product owner, BA, or an engineer. So all of us have the same winning steps, um, and we have a pre these winning steps are um, defined up. Up until 2025. So the way we, um, you know, say a 
you know, high performance team or outcomes, we measure outcomes is how are we contributing to these winning steps mm-hmm. as a team? Um, and having that, I think what has really helped us is having that, you know, sing, we have like say 10 or 15 winning steps, for example, and having those common winning steps, um, you know, amongst all of us. So all of us are working towards these same winning steps, uh, which really helps us in, um, you know, um, our focus and also the team understands, okay, these are the winning steps that they are working towards. And these are the initiatives that we are doing, which will contribute to say winning step number one, winning step number two. So that's um, how we measure outcomes. Um, and not only that, I think um, the other important aspect, um, I know we've all discussed this, we've touched this, touched this topic quite a bit, psychological safety. I think um, having the um, um, you know, freedom to express, um, having the space and uh, feeling safe to um, you know, express their opinion, I think that's uh, something that we value a lot as well um, at Iris. And that's probably why we have an open communication um, channel where you know, anyone can post in any Slack channel. And you know, if they have any questions, they can actually ask the CEO directly. So it's quite interesting. Just to add on what Preeti was saying, you know, one thing that sort of resonates with me is sort of, you know, there's a there's often a distinction between strategy versus execution and implementation. And where we've found the greatest success is, you know, understanding, you know, making sure that everyone understands internally what the strategy is, the reasons why, and ensuring that when we do define teams and create teams, that the teams have a you know, a definition of a common purpose and they have uh, their own objectives that sort of align back to the strategy, which gives the team an identity. And then through that identity, they then come up with their own plans around goals that align with those objectives. And then this supports them given sort of meaningfulness and responsibility to perform. Mm-hmm. And then I guess what we've noticed psychologically is then sort of a team efficacy. So where our teams believe they can succeed and when they believe they can succeed that then builds cohesion trust management of expectations and we've found that to be quite empowering just watching how they sort of figure things out build up values together that align with the company's values um, you know define social contracts around how they interact and operate and that way when you add someone new into that mix you know it's it's someone that then can easily onboard with the team or not. And you can quickly identify those sorts of strengths and weaknesses and the team then sort of figures out how best to support, I'll call it newcomers into the team. Um, but also if it needs to, you know, split or merge with other teams, um, depending on whatever projects or initiatives we're running with customers, um, we found that in that sort of social contract to be really important. That's really mature, BJ. I love that. Uh, how do you measure though, like the performance? How do you how do you look upon one team or another team and go, yeah, that they're, they're actually their output is better or their performance overall for the business is better? Yeah, sure. So great question. So I think what we do is we make sure that upfront, you know, back to that sort of purpose and objectives, that the team understands what they're trying to achieve. And we don't try to micromanage it. You know, we we sort of say these are the expectations. These are the, these are the frameworks you want to op- we want you to operate in. But you you've got to buy into the journey just as much as we're telling you the journey. You know, so if you if they generally buy into the journey and they or the outcome and the output, we find that generally we get there. 
Um, you know, we don't try and say one team, how does one team perform versus another, because generally they have very different purposes, objectives, outcomes. Um, they'll have different obstacles that pop up because they might be dealing with different customers, different stakeholders. Um, you know, some products might have more tech debt than others. You know, so there's there's lots of um, variables. And so, you know, part of our, I'll call it performance management, isn't just about output and tying it back to tangible financial metrics, let's say. It's mm. also, you know, what is what is the attitude, motivation, tying it into values. Um, and often, you know, if teams find that they're not, um, you know, meeting expectations, they're the ones that are sort of raising their hands, sort of going, hey, there's a risk here, there's challenges here, help. You know, and that's where, you know, as leaders, we can sort of come in and monitor, guide, empower, coach these, these teams to survive and continue to perform. So how do people do that? So we do that in multiple ways. Like, I'm really interested in, like, you're talking about there's multiple dimensions. So how does, how does everyone kind of keep a monitor and perspective and sort of peripheral vision of all these dimensions to make sure that things aren't dropping in, in individual teams or in your own team? So, I mean, I, from our side, I guess, you know, we so I'll call it, you, and this is probably a crude way of splitting it, but, you know, there's projects we deliver to customers and then there's products that have a roadmap and we deliver outcomes to those roadmaps. Um, both have, I'll call it, timelines associated with that. So with customers, it's sort of prescriptive through project management to have schedules, how you might measure and monitor um, those schedules based on what, um, you know, you're sort of, dealt with in terms of risks and issues. On the product side, in terms of roadmaps, um, you know, that that's it's an ongoing continuous improvement with different teams. So it's figuring out, okay, well, what is our velocity as a team? How much can we output? Okay, what did we output? You know, and you know, I'm sure all of you guys do retrospectives and lessons learned and those sorts of things. Um, you know, and it's making sure that those things remain relevant and alive and they're being actioned and um, you know, that's that's how we try and monitor and govern both of those things around, you know, are we meeting the expectations that we've defined and set for ourselves and with our customers? Um, so, yeah. But what about those other inputs? Like, Preeti, you said earlier on psychological safety. Yeah. How do you keep an eye on that to make sure it's not dropping in any one team or decision making or balance or autonomy or any, any of those facets that go into it? How do you... What, what do you do at, uh, at RF? Absolutely. Um, so I think psychological safety, I mean, it's really, really difficult to measure that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I would say it's pretty much impossible, but something. Can you ask um, people? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so something that I, um, that I've, um, uh, you know, tend to do or have done in the past is um, I've used uh, various techniques. So one of the techniques that I use is um, um, like happiness, um, you know, survey or a happiness um, radar. Um, and um, that's something I try to use, um, you know, on, be it in Slack or, or you know, virtually just send, um, you know, on a daily basis or at least weekly, hey, how do you feel, you know, or, you know, how happy do you feel? Or, you know, one to five, you know, give me a rating um, and, you know, try to do this anonymous survey even though even though they may not 
been meaningful um, to start with, like, hey, what is this? Someone says they're happy, someone's not so happy. But I think over a period of time, you do tend to see a trend, which I have done in the past. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, when we have some really complex initiatives, really complex, um, you know, um, delivery timelines or really, really tight deadlines, um, you know, during that time, you see a dip in emotion or you see someone's really stressed, um, you know, during, for example, during lockdown, when there was, you know, severe lockdowns where we are not able to go out and, you know, see anyone, uh, meet anyone, there is a bit, a bit of a dip in the, um, you know, emotional um, um, status of someone. Uh, so I think that's one thing. And the other uh, way of also uh, monitoring, I guess, the psychological safety is you do always have a mix of team members, some who really speak up and, you know, were like, yeah, getting involved in the meetings or, you know, in workshops, but then there are some who do not get involved at all. And I think what I tend to do is um, I try to, um, you know, motivate them to get involved or, you know, um, one way of also um, um, getting more uh, team members involved in a conversation is um, things that we do, for example, at IRIS is um, every um, every uh, week we um, take turns uh, within the squad to run the stand-up. So everyone gets opportunity to run the stand-up. And just before the stand-up, we have something called, um, you know, photo of the day. So you share a photo um, and it could even be something, you know, physical. They can share something like their desk um, that they're, um, you know, working from or their home space or anything like that. Um, and we do that. Um, just trying to encourage um, everyone to get involved in that conversation, talk a little bit about it. Um, and, you know, you get different photos every day. Someone shares their um, recipes or, you know, they cook something for dinner night before they share a photo of that. Um, I guess that's how we can um, sort of, um, uh, I guess, monitor the psychological safety of the team. Um, it's very, um, uh, it's, it's not a very tangible outcome, but it's more of um, observing and monitoring the team to see um, if they're all participating, if they are um, doing okay emotionally and um, their well-being. And also the other um, opportunity is our individual one-on-ones um, where I... My one-on-ones are not just focused on professional, hey, you know, um, have you met your goals or, you know, KPIs or winning steps, but also personally, how are you doing? Um, is there anything that I can help you to support you? Um, and um, something that I'm quite excited to um, share is we also have these long weekend concepts at IRS. Um, so we get six long weekends that we can utilize um, throughout the year. Um, so be it a Friday or a Monday um, and um, we can actually take a day off and just unwind and, um, you know, de-stress. So I encourage um, um, all my team members to utilize those long weekends when, whenever they feel that, you know, they need that space to unwind and relax. So that's something that we have uh, we've done um, within nice. squats. So let, let me kind of give you an insight what we do at SEEK, um, sure. pretty much across the engineering teams. Uh, probably a few years ago, we used to use Spotify Health Check, um, but that's, gone out of fashion a little bit. It might be good for when you've got a new team or something and you're up and running and you want to work out how you know, the mechanisms of, of it all. Um, but what we, we use five dysfunctions quite a lot. And so we do five dysfunctions retros, but they're quite heavy. So you only do them maybe every quarter or every half or something. But what a lot of teams have got is probably every two weeks they'll do a health check. And different teams, different folks with different strokes, right? Uh, so different teams focus on, on on different attributes, but generally they're things like psychological touch. And it's qualitative. We quite literally ascertain, how do you feel about the psychological or the psychological safety or trust in the team? How do you feel about balance of the team? How do you feel about the decision-making team? Are you, are you sufficiently involved? And 
to, you had a really good point before, uh, Preeti, that you don't necessarily care about where you are today. It's more the trajectory. It's, is this going down? Is this going up? Also, if you if something happened for it to go down, and and typically what we do is if it does go down, then we jump on that. And we absolutely and run a retro. And what I've found is is it's probably the number one biggest factor I've seen in in creating high performing teams is is asking them right how they feel about things, Absolutely. and then actively being totally proactive with with uh, with overcoming blockers and the challenges that the team that they that I think um, I think VJ you talked about efficacy earlier on. I think efficacy is really driven by leaders. Uh, listening to your teams and really driving towards uh, overcoming uh, what what your what your teams are telling them. So that's that's what we do kind of quite a lot of seek and it's really successful. No, and that's great, James. Yeah, no, and I think um, you know part of high performing teams is what is the role of the leader mm. in all of this. You know, like if you look at sports teams, they run high performing teams, and you know what mm. is the role of the coach and you know, generally with the coaches need to know their individual players and they need to know their skills and how they're feeling, their mental state. Um, and, you know, to some respects as leaders, we need to be the union reps for our teams. You know, we need to fight for them. We need to understand them. We need to know um, how best they tick um, and ensuring that, you know, if they, if they need time off, they need a break, then that's okay, you know, like, because it's not, um an individual focus it's a team focus you know what's you know what's best for the team as a whole and, and the team is made up of individuals um and no individuals bigger than the team as well so yeah what about you kevin you're in a smaller kind of startup like how do you keep a peripheral vision and eye on all the factors that that they're leading indicators right so lagging indicator is people leaving your business right Mm. And you never want to get to that lagging indicator. You want to just keep an eye on the leading indicators. Mm. How do you how do you do that? Uh, so yeah, like we we're a relatively small team. So um, we usually uh, the best the best one that I have is usually um so uh, I'm quite involved in the development side of things. So you know for most uh, engineers, I would you, once a week or at least at least once a week, I would be involved in you know reviewing the pull request. And uh, I think it's during that time where I can gauge their like motivation with regard to it, because um, you know, w w during the pull request, I would I would discuss like you know, okay, well, why did you code it this way versus this way? You know, what's the logic behind you know not splitting this function? And what I've noticed is when people are very stressed and because of a deadline or something, they don't think that much about these things. And so they just like, oh, I didn't think that much. Like I like, and then, or sometimes they get very frustrated back, like, oh, can we just end this pull request and let's just, so I can go into the next, next task. Um, so I think doing pull requests um, and like just talking to them and kind of gauging their interest and motivation, that's, I guess, uh, one thing that really helps. And uh, secondly is, um, I guess, coffee. Uh, so um, we, we most of uh, my team lives in the city. So every Wednesday, we'd go to a coffee place and we'd just work there for half a day, and then we would have lunch afterwards. Um, and then you know, we just you know I have one on ones then. So you know we would get a coffee, go for a walk, and then talk a bit about you know how they're feeling, what's going on in their life. Um, and then from there, I get a pretty good grasp on you know how they're well. I guess their mental health. 
And um, if, you know, for example, they're under too much stress, um, if they are, I'd be like, okay, well, I, I don't try to pry too much, but um, I would usually say, you know, if you're under a lot of stress, just, just take a day off, you know, step back, take a step back, you know, work isn't everything. Um, there's always more things in life. Um, so yeah, I guess the, those are the two things I do, pull requests and, uh, and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it's interesting, BJ, saying like the interaction between a team concept and an individual concept. Right? I really kind of love, we often get them mixed up. Um, but I think what you're talking about there, Kevin, and there's a technique I've used a lot is it comes from something called the job description model, right? And mm. it looks at a meaningfulness in the workplace as a way as a driver for motivation. I think because of your team's motivation is a real key uh, factor for yourself. And I'd say, look at that job description model. And so some of the things you were saying was, well, in meaningfulness, there's kind of three, there's kind of three attributes. There's kind of, there's um, significance, job significance, uh, there's variety and there's identity. Identity is this amorphous one. It's like, if you're a vegetarian, don't work in abattoir. It's like, it's basically <laughs> a value, a value space. So you're really focusing upon variety and significance. And you want to really understand whether people feel what they're doing is significant. And if mm. it has variety for them, if, if mm. either of those things are missing, that's a real red flag for you or an amber flag for you to really dive into. I'd say mm. take a look at that job description model. The other facets are feedback. And really what they're talking about feedback is there is positive recognition, right? And you can have mm. a claim, which is public recognition. And the other one, the key one that you'll always, always say is autonomy. And, uh, and so that's a job description model is a, a really good model to use when you're thinking about how people interact <laughs> with team performance. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I support what you just said, James. Like, yeah, the job description model is great. And, you know, there is that balance of job variety. You don't want to give people too much variety, otherwise they, they drown <laughs> in too much. True. But, you know, yep. there's, there's a balance. But, um, yeah, you're definitely right. Um, you you need to yeah, cater all about um, what your job design looks like um, mm. to make sure that yeah, people remain motivated and satisfied. Uh, just a question out of curiosity, because we've been talking about psychological health. Just wondering, you know, I mean, in America and the UK, obviously there's a lot of, you know, in-house organizational psychologists or therapists. Just wondering, I don't see that too often in Australia business, like, you know, Australian business. Just wondering, is that, do you guys have any in, the, in your company or planning to have, you know, even outsourcing services like that in the future? Just to increase the team efficiencies and you know try to build creativity as well. Yeah, so we we've definitely focused on that the last couple of years. Not so much hiring a psychologist, but you know, um, getting external consultancies um, that specialize in wellness programs and um, looking at sort of health and lifestyle and sort of you know recognizing there you know there is stuff outside of people's job life, um, yes. which is personal life and. Um, you know, if people are happy in their personal life, they're going to be, you know, hopefully happy in their work life as well or, or come with the right mindset and be refreshed. So we've definitely invested in that as a company and seeing good outcomes. Um, and that's, you know, led to lots of also social interactions whilst we're in lockdowns or in person now that we can meet in person more. Um, but I think the, the other thing that comes back to that is also just strong human resource support. So. Um, I sort of touched on this, you know, what is the role of an organization to define and set up people for success as well? And I think having good human resource capability sort of 
to support and empower cult the right culture um, and you know making sure that values are right across the organization um, you know assist with then also listening being an outsider sort of coming in and going how are things going out you know so it's not just constantly relying on your manager um, and, and yeah I think that generally promotes more happiness overall as well and that then supports the attraction training and retention model that is quite important with HR. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting so you started with psychological safety there but BJ you kind of went to well-being programs which I think you're right HR are probably much more comfortable in right and they're probably having a lot more experience in and I think I think also that maybe maybe there has just been a trend towards that more recently especially with the advent of COVID I feel mm -hmm. psychological safety is more intimate and probably then why HR hasn't been involved in that or hired kind of people to drive psychological safety it's probably more something that your line manager or or that the team leader is the one so I feel that there's been a lot of education about psychological safety and in my, my organization and pretty much the industry as well Google kind of really kicked this off 10 years ago with rework um, but I think the way you get to, to Parrot uh, BJ's uh, point I think what you get is well-being programs which are, are, are which are super important. And remember when I first started, like our outcomes were performance and well-being, and HR definitely can really help with kind of some of the and provide support in terms of those well-being outcomes. But psychological safety, I think, is quite an intimate thing, and it's quite dependent upon the people in the team as well. So best done by empowering with education um, the individual team leaders, I reckon. What do you yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think it is very much a layered approach you know, between the team members, the line managers or leaders, and then mm. also the organisation and human resources. So, yeah, no, I completely concur with that. Sorry, Preeti, you're about to say something. I keep coming up. Uh, 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 good. I, was, I, was, uh, I agree with James as well. I think psychological safety is, is, is a very intimate thing. And, um, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's having that individual conversations, having those, um, you know, check-ins or, um, you know, they say energy check-ins um, uh, every now and then to see how they are feeling. Um, that sort of really helps, um, I think, with overall with the, with the team. And having that, you know, people leader or um, a team lead, um, having those conversations is, is quite, I think, beneficial. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. I didn't know the time went so fast. It's nearly the end of the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation, being honest. Like, I know we have the certain set topics and questions, but as the conversation goes, we went somewhere else. But I think at the end of the day, it was all good, you know, inquisitive, insightful, and then sharing the ideas and then struggles with a team in the tech space. Such a pleasure to have you guys on board. Uh, thank you so much again, and definitely we're looking forward to more interesting conversation in the future as well.